Hello and welcome to back to the Snub Club, a podcast where we talk. Hey, yeah, it's a podcast. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the podcast where we look at a film that was nominated a ton at the Oscars, the most nominations, but didn't win anything. This week we're at the third Academy Awards, looking at. Let's see if I mispronounce his name, Ernest Lubitsch. Is that right, guys? <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm. I, I, he's not gonna come complain. So. Oh, I, I'm sure we'll hear some complaints if we mispronounce <laughs> it. <laughs> I, uh, just as a disclaimer, we will not be talking about anyone who worked in this film in any depth out of spite. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway. Hey, who are you? Wait, who are you guys? Oh, I'm Daddy Vincent. I host a snub club, but I also host an MCU podcast, and I do other stuff that is in the intro trailer podcast. Yeah, I'm Caleb. Yeah, I'm Sarah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say anything beyond that. <laughs> yeah, we'll save that I'm, for the end. Now that I think about it, I should never pimp my podcast till the sign off. So apologies to everyone except for Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, we're still learning. We're still working it out. You know, sometimes you don't know everything. And so you run into things blind and you end up married to a queen and <laughs> with basically no rights. But we'll get into that. Yeah, we will. So anyway, yes, this week we are, as I said, we're discussing the Love Parade, which is a pre-code musical comedy, which was pretty interesting. I think that's how we'll always start our discussions. Yes. People have, to, they have, people have to listen to know if the movie was good or not. They're like, oh, he said it was interesting? I gotta know how it's interesting. I will say, on a scale of interesting, this is much more interesting than Alibi. Yeah, I think we can all agree it was better was than engaged. Alibi. I was engaged the well, not the entire movie, but most of the movie, which is a massive improvement on Alibi. And I thought it was still funny at points. Which is pretty impressive for any comedy from 1929, because I've seen other ones from the 30s, including actually one we'll cover on this podcast probably in a couple months, um, that I didn't really wasn't really a fan of. But I thought this was pretty funny when it's trying to be fun. I I could tell there were jokes and some of them landed. You know, that's basically what I mean. Not to say that all the jokes worked, but I yeah, I'd say in general there's a consistency of comedy. And not to jump too far ahead, but especially if it's like uh, physical comedy, it usually works a little bit. All right. So, Sarah, give us the stats. Give us the info. What happened at the third Academy Awards? Or am I, I actually have a lot of info this week because um, this is kind of an all star lineup. Um, so it was nominated for it's called Outstanding Production, but we would call it Best Picture. Oh wait, wait. We gotta, um, we gotta give it the cool disclaimer first. Is that the Love Parade actually broke the record at the time yes. for the most Academy Award nominations, which makes it perfect to lose them all. So it was nominated for six total. Uh, so outstanding production, aka Best Picture, for just Paramount. Uh, best director was uh, I know I'm gonna pronounce this wrong. Ernst Lubitz. Lubitz. You know Ernst, our our guy. Ernie Lubin. Yeah, we can just call him Ernie. Ernie, okay. <laughs> uh, best actor, Marie Chevalier. Uh, best cinematography, Victor Milner. Uh, production design, uh, or as it was called at the ceremony, art direction for Hans Dreyer. And then sound recording for Franklin Hansen. So. You, wait, wait. Do you want to mention something interesting about Maurice's nomination? Or should I? It depends she, what it is. Okay, so he was actually. It, back in the day, you were allowed to be nominated uh, one nomination for two separate movies. So Ma Maurice was also nominated for a film called The Big Pond. Yes. rom-com. And um, leading, so leading into that, um, like I said, this was kind of an all-star lineup. Um, Ernie was nominated three times in his career, um, and he received an honorary Academy Award. Uh, Chevalier was nominated two times, as we said. Uh, Victor Milner, the cinematographer, was nominated 10 times and won for Cleopatra. Um, Hans Dreyer, who did the production design, was nominated 23 times 
and won three times. What do you win for? That's uh, a pretty good ratio. He won for—I want to say he—I know one of them. He won for uh, Sunset Boulevard. I have it open. Yeah, he did. You're right. Yes. Uh, the other two were Frenchman's Creek in 1944 and Samson and Delilah in 1950. Yes, and it was All separated. All these are films we will never cover on our podcast because yeah. they won stuff. <laughs> and it was separated from like color and black and white, so he he was nominated for both. And then uh, sound recording, Franklin Hansen, he was nominated five times, and he won for a Farewell to Arms. So not a bad group. I will say um, that for now, we will mention definitely sound recorders numbers and on, but when we get to the 70s and 80s, they repeat so much nowadays. Like I know there's like someone who's been nominated like 27 times and never, well, no, he's won. But, like, some of the noms this year are overlap, I know, in sound design. Do you think that's because it's more of a, like, we understand it more nowadays? So it's, I don't know, I feel like so there would have been so much experimentation going on that there would have probably been more names in the pot. Where nowadays it's like, well, you know what to do. You got, like, your, your like, seven guys to go to. I will say what was very interesting is that for my pod, my MCU podcast... We should have. I I ended up doing this because first we we're just gonna do it for the actors, and I thought it'd be fun. But then I was like, well, it'd be silly to do a breakdown, a fun breakdown of every single nomination that is related to an MCU movie. And what I discovered was is that in the sound category, every nomination has done a big Marvel movie, with the exception of Sound of Metal this year. And a lot of them overlap. Like I know, I think one of the people who did Soul also did Mank this year, if I remember right. So it's a ton of overlap. And then of course. If they're all working on their, you know what I mean? Like Marvel is like the big blockbuster and then they go to work on like Mank or they work on whatever else was nominated this year that I can't remember or Soul. But anyway, I thought that was interesting when I did that breakdown because I was like, oh yeah, these guys do all kind of work on the same movies because it's all like Skywalker sound and stuff nowadays, you know, like mm. they are big houses for it. And then yeah, Sound of Metal like is super more... indie. So yeah, that's as, as the knowledge, as the knowledge kind of is more uniform like the the talent concentrates in yeah i'm not i don't have any historical precedent for that it's just that's i i'm curious if uh, yeah that's the case i'd have to imagine once we hit the 70s and 80s stuff might change a bit uh in that regard but i also think it's because uh i will say this right now on our list is that i think probably our most predominant genre of film is the musical uh, that qualifies for this podcast and this is our first one uh, and I think musicals I don't know if they do have the same type of recurring sound recorders or sound designers that uh, the nowadays big action movies do because nowadays I feel like the big nominations for sound are always like unless there's a gimmick are always either the big Hollywood blockbuster or the big war movie that's good or the musical the musical still always gets into. But anyway, sound design, that's interesting. <laughs> well, I guess a few a few little facts about, and again, there wasn't too much that I could uncover about uh, the Love Parade, but um, this is considered the first um, like movie musical, especially in the sense of like the songs are part of the narrative. So instead, like, as opposed so it's not like to a like- Broadway review. Or, right, as opposed yeah. to like the jazz singer or whatever where it's just a guy singing. Um, there was also a pretty long-standing rumor that the entire movie was dubbed. Um, <laughs> because, like, I don't know, because they were, because it was, it was Ernie's, you know, first talkie film. So people thought that he wasn't capable of recording it. But, I mean, I, it was I, all recorded just as a film would be at the time, so... I would say definitely this might be tipping my hand a bit, but if I was to def grade this on a curve of like, well, this is your first movie and well, this is the first movie musical. I would, this would be like a four and a half star movie out of five movie to me as like the first, like if you're grading on the curve of this is the first time this is happening, I cannot believe it's as competent as it is and as entertaining as it is. Mm -hmm. I definitely have some thoughts about it as a musical. So oh, we'll, we'll it's, get not into perfect. That. it's not perfect. It's not perfect. But as a first go at it, I, I, I'm pretty impressed. Mm -hmm. uh, especially coming off of last week's uh, yes. last episode's alibi. 
any more fun facts? I mean, that's pretty much it. I would say, it's in terms of being a pre-code film, I mean, we talked a little bit about what that means last week, but this week, I think we saw more of the sexuality side of it. Um, like, we saw, you know, a lot of leg, some shoulders. This is a very saucy movie. Yes. I did want to mention that with uh, my other Ernie movie, not Ernie, <laughs> the other Ernie movie I saw, which is, I actually mentioned it on our last episode, which is Designed for Living, which is literally a movie about a couple deciding if they should have threesomes more often, which is a free code cop. And I'm like, wow, this is it's pretty impressive. I think it's, mm-hmm. um, I think it's 1933. Uh, yeah, it is 1933. And this was not as hardcore as that was, but it did have that same element. And especially, I thought the opening was kind of like, Ooh, this is scandalous type of thing. Yeah. (laughs) I will say too, one of the one of the taglines for the movie was actually don't say risque, say chevalier. (laughs) That's a good that's a good tagline. I love it. Uh okay. Should we go in the movie or do we have other stuff we want to talk about first? Caleb. I thought you were about to say something. Well, I will say, um, I feel like I couldn't find too many facts about either 1929 or 1930 that would have informed how the Academy will have looked at this. There were a lot of interesting stuff that happened in 1930, like Sergei Eisenstein started working in Hollywood. Uh, Mickey Mouse premiered um, the first uh, <laughs> the first sexual reassignment surgery was held. But like, oh. no, that really has anything to do with this movie. Um, so I guess I'll just hit on a point that I talked about last week, which was uh, the stock market crash in 29 um, definitely would have changed the atmosphere and the kind of attitude of the country um, as we started to slip into the Great Depression. So I think that um, I, I would be curious to see if we'll start seeing more escapist fun movies and especially movies like this that kind of have a lot of opulence to them if we'll see more of those going into the great depression as a form of escapism. And did, uh, did we say what won this year? Cause I have it. Uh, cause I actually no. think it's interesting in regards to that is that, uh, all quiet on the Western front won best picture this year, uh, which is opposite. Uh, that's what's, yeah. That's what's interesting in the 1930s is you do have a lot of, and leading out of the twenties, you have a lot of uh, like interesting, challenging work, um, especially around World War One, but then you also have a lot of people who are just trying to make like more fun, more frivolous work too. And I think uh, with that win opposed to this nomination, you can kind of see the conflict there, or at least the variety of stuff that was getting made in Hollywood. Well, I would say that that is, and I said this on our last recording, is that is the conflict of the Oscars constantly. Is do we give it to? Forrest Gump or do we give it to um, Pulp Fiction? Which I'm not saying like Pulp at the time Pulp Fiction was radical. You know what I mean? That's that's what I mean by that. Well, I'll um, just say and you know speaking of that pattern that we still see at the Oscars. So this movie came out in November of 1929, a month after the stock market crash, and it was a box office hit. It made a lot of money. So I actually wanted to point out with that is that it didn't go wide until January also. It came out mm-hmm. in November, but it went wide in January 1930, which also sounds very uh, nowadays Academy type of thing. But yeah, at the yeah. time, the calendar was being judged differently. If I remember right, let me... Yeah, uh, the calendar played very differently uh, in these early It was years. May to... It was, it was August to, June, to July. Or August to July, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was the middle of the year air quotes around that for the season which means this movie i actually don't know that would be an interesting deep dive to do like and see if there's a history and how Oscar campaigning worked in these really early years but i would imagine the only real history we could find is like variety archives because i know that's mm-hmm. what they always used to advertise but yeah uh shall we dive into the love parade well, do you want to say what one first, or do oh, we want yeah, to? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, okay. All Quiet on the Western Front won Best Picture and uh, Best Director. A movie called Disraeli won Best Actor for George Arliss. 
Sound recording went to The Big House, which is a prison break movie. Cinematographer went to With Bird at the South Pole, which is about the first expositions of the South Pole. And the best art direction went to King of Jazz, which is a really good title. Um, yeah, it is. I, I really like the ti- oh, title King of Jazz. Uh, oh, King of Jazz is interesting. It looks like it was filmed entirely in an early Technicolor process. Uh, wow, that's pretty cool. Well, that's great, but it won an Oscar. Can I just give this one fact that's interesting about King of Jazz? This will be the only time I ever talk about King of Jazz ever. Is there is a possibility that one of the people who appeared in King of Jazz is the great uncle of Kurt Cobain? Fun fact if you're ever on Jeopardy, wow, there's a possibility. Okay. No one knows. Kirk Cobain keeps popping up in my podcasts. <laughs> Kirk Cobain keeps popping up in my podcasts, and I don't know why. Because he's the king of jazz, or at least related to it. Um, okay. So yeah, six nominations, six losses. The biggest loser in Academy history. So far. So far, yeah. <laughs> so can I say, as we jump into the love parade? Well, are, Sarah, are you gonna uh, synopsize it first? I I can. Um, I I really just kind of wrote down like what I thought was interesting. So there's definitely some points that are a little bit colorful. But um, <laughs> basically, the basic gist is: go away if you don't want any spoilers of the love parade. All right, go on. Yes. Um. So the basic gist is that there is a. There's a it's a there's a fictional con- country called Sylvania, where our main character, um, Alfred Renard, is a count, um, and he the movie starts in Paris, uh, and he's a womanizer. It makes you know it. Yes, it it definitely makes you know it. Which I will talk about that. Yeah, yeah, um, we will get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's you know he's a womanizer. He's a cad, and so he's ordered to go back to Sylvania. Um, Because he's no longer welcome in Paris. And his, like, servant, who is a Frenchman with a British accent, uh, Jacques, joins him. And uh, Alfred is a Slovenian with a French accent. Yes. So yes. It, it's okay. And all it the other a joke. <laughs> all the other ones have American accents. It's great. So meanwhile, in Sylvania, um, the queen... I'm just I'm just gonna say it for lack of a better word, she's horny. So <laughs> she doesn't want to get married for whatever reason, because it seems like she's got a pretty good gig. Um, but everybody else wants her to get married, obviously, because she's the queen. The only problem is nobody wants to marry her because her husband would not be king, he would be a prince consort. So, um, the queen, whose name is Louise, and Alfred meet. They are attracted to each other. They get engaged. They get married. And that's the halfway point of the movie. Um, Which, uh, I'll, well, I'll get into that later. I actually like that structure. But we'll go, go on, Sarah. I like it because that means whenever I revisit this movie, I can stop at the halfway point. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, then I'll yeah. say it right now. If you're going to tip that card. Is It reminds me of a lot of uh, Into the Woods. Because uh, Into the Woods is a Broadway show has a really nice happy ending at Act One, and then the second act is all something else. <laughs> so the I think the, the second act, this. Uh, the play. the second act of of this movie is Alfred is you know he doesn't like to be tied down, he wants to do something instead of being the prince consort. There's a whole subplot with Jacques and a lady's maid named Lulu. Um, they have the best song in the movie. Uh, <laughs> they have several of the best songs. I I think they consistently are the again tipping my hat. They are consistently the best parts of this movie. <laughs> um, and then uh, what ends up happening is uh, Alfred threatens to divorce uh, Louise. She's really sad about it. The dynamic turns really weird really quickly, and she basically gives up her title for him to stay in Sylvania with her. And there's a happy ending. I guess. Mm. Well, the music <laughs> I'm is sure rising. For 1930, there was a happy ending. 
yeah, okay, so yeah, that's the love parade for you. Uh, so let's 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 dive in. Should we just get? Uh, do, do we want to give general thoughts first, or do we want to go just by? Order? I think we could kind of stream of conscious it. I think okay. stream, you know, okay. just kind okay. of go with the flow. I think people will pick up on at least my vibe pretty quickly. <laughs> um, this movie starts off, and I feel at home, y'all. I, I thought it was turning on Alibi again. It opens with kick lines, like yeah, it does. Beautiful. Yes. Chef's kiss, beautiful. <laughs> and then there is a fake shooting. Mm-hmm. Just like the end of Alibi. Yeah, actually, you know what? In Alibi, it was stupid. But here I was like, I'm surprised. I thought she was actually shot. Okay, you know what, too? You know what I noticed at the beginning? What I noticed at the beginning is that he... So the main character, Alfred, he breaks the fourth wall, like, pretty consistently. He does it a lot, yeah. But he doesn't do it ever again. No, no in the, I thought he did in the, again in the, the second half. Yeah, in the second half, he looks to the audience uh, during one of the songs. Okay, a, a song. Okay, <laughs> I stand corrected. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I didn't. I guess I didn't notice when he did it in the first half. I just I did notice when he uh, when he did it in the second half, and it kind of threw me off. Oh, I noticed mm-hmm. the wall breaks. Uh, I know. I noticed most of them. I was like, "Ooh, I like these." Yeah, it just didn't it seem felt- very consistent to me. Yeah, but like, my my response there would be though if because this is an early musical, so I'm gonna com- be comparing it more to theater more likely than other movie musicals because mm-hmm. that's what they're translating from. Is on stage that wouldn't be that weird that he just broke the fourth wall and looked at the audience and mugged for a laugh in a in a comedy. Uh, so in this, I wasn't too bothered by it being inconsistent because again, it's the first one. You know, so yeah. So, do we want to explain the uh, the shooting? Oh yeah, <laughs> we should yeah, probably do that. Probably, we should probably. <laughs> we're like, oh yeah, someone gets shot. Moving on. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, someone else want to explain it? Because yeah, I don't really want to. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I like it being ambiguous. No. <laughs> it seems like you have a lot of thoughts, Caleb. So why don't you why don't you do the honors? Um. Yeah. So. It opens up with kick lines showing us that we're in Paris. Wonderful, great, big fan. The giant Paris text. Yeah, and then and then in front of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> it's everything, y'all. Um, and then we're we're introduced to Alfred and his side piece for the evening, and she gets mad at him and like, uh, you're cheating on me with other women and blah 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 blah. And then she pulls out gun, and you're like, yo, what is going on? What kind of movie did I walk into? I don't. <laughs> I don't look I anything up about parade. these movies beforehand. Yeah. And then, so they kind of have Russell and he accidentally shoots her. And I was, at this point, I was like, what? What am I watching? And then this other guy comes in and he's like, oh no, you shot this woman. And then he like grabs the gun and goes to shoot Alfred. And then just nothing happens. You're forgetting something that was really important there, which is that to me, I think a majority of this band's dialogue is in French and it's not subtitled. It's not translated mm-hmm. from by other characters. It's just in pure French. And it's like, you know, you can really catch this wee wee. <laughs> I kind of wanted to ask you guys about that. Cause I could understand it. I know French, but like for you guys, you, you didn't get the gist of like the scene at no, all. I didn't. I didn't get no, it. No, no. Like the, I think it was well taught visually. And like, there is a lot of like, pretty clear gestures and stuff. So like when she, to convey that he is cheating on her, she shows him a garter and then pulls her skirt up to show that she still has both her garters on. So like, I think it's communicated really well. Um, it did make me think that this was a French movie and that I was going to be watching it without subtitles for two Yeah, especially because Chevalier has such the thick accent. Yeah. Uh, but I also didn't mind it because like, oh, this is interesting. It, it immediately grabbed my attention more than Alan. Can I just say too, I hate to bring up I hate to bring up an Oscar winning film, but I don't know if this I don't know if this intro was like like a reference to something. I don't know if it was like this is like where it came from, but there is a part in the Oscar winning film Ratatouille where Remy like <laughs> He well, he spies on these. He goes to Paris <laughs> and he spies on these French people that are fighting and they're lovers. And they like, she like threatens him with a gun. And that was the only thing I can think of was like, did, was this like the origin of that? 
That's some Mets style uh, interconnecting. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. No offense, sir. I feel like just saying there's a gun in a French movie being connection <laughs> is not a very. But they're uh, lovers. <laughs> I would like to see. If, I'm curious now. Now, if we ever get to talk to Brad Bird, if any of us get a chance to ever interview him, we can ask him, have you seen the love parade? I can so, tweet him. I'll tweet him after this. <laughs> like, yo, Brad Bird. Is this the love parade? <laughs> Was this a direct reference to the love parade? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm happy living in the world believing that is so. So even if he tweets back a definitive no, please do not tell me. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so there's a gun. Uh, I mean, I think we kind of covered it, right? It was all fake. But why was it fake? We didn't cut. The, we didn't cover that part. Why was it or, fake? I don't know. Because <laughs> French people aren't dramatic. I mean, that was pretty much the only. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> sorry podcast, to French people. If this was a podcast where we titled game. podcast outside of like our format, I'd be like, this episode is like, we hate the French. <laughs> <laughs> We're really just bagging on them. Poor okay. I have to move on now because I have to talk about my, my favorite part in the movie. And that is, um, so she, they leave and then like the, the lady and her husband leave. And then he has to go back to Sylvania. So he sings a song, like a love song to Paris. And it's a very, um, I will say, so like Marie Chevalier uh, was probably one of the most famous, like Americanized French actors for a really long time. Um, Not to bring up another Oscar winner, but he was in Gigi uh, and he was, uh, he sang a very famous song in Gigi. Uh, He also sang the title song in the Aristocats. Fun fact. I haven't um, seen that. Fun fact. It's one of the few Disney's I haven't seen. But anyway, so it's it's meant to be a very, like, the movie was meant to be a vehicle for Chevalier, basically. So he could sing, you know, so he could sing. And he could sing about France and how much he loves France. Um, it works as a vehicle for him. He, yeah, absolutely. definitely his movie, and he's very charismatic in it. Um, so he sings a song about how much he loves Paris and he loves the women. And then Jacques has a verse where he sings about how... He loves women too, even though he's kind of a he's kind of a loser. And then the best part of the entire movie. There's another verse in the song. I'm so excited to talk about this. There's another verse in the song that's sung by a dog. Yes. <laughs> the dog is a great. It's so good. <laughs> I, the dog in general throughout this movie, I wanted more of him because whenever he came yes. out, I was like, wow, this dog in 1930 or 1929 is just like, this is a good, like, it's a good boy. He's a he good was boy. a cute, he was a good boy. And that, it was. Unlike all those other 1930s dogs. <laughs> They're look, all bad. Look, everyone talks about Rin Tin Tin or like. Cujo or whatever. <laughs> I know Cujo isn't from the 30s. But, or Toto. But these dogs, I don't I never caught the dog's name, but he's no. a good boy. And <laughs> I mean he got he to sing. He got he got a featured verse. I mean, come on. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like this movie has a very like like the humor holds up. Because that's clearly designed to be a joke for the the original audience, but it's still funny. Like the idea yes. of there being a big musical number, Love Letter to Paris, that the dog starts singing to, that's a good joke. <laughs> and it's executed well. Yeah, and it shows you that at least the first half of this movie is not going to take itself seriously. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I like, have thoughts in general about that, but as far as like what the genre is, but we'll get into that. And what I like about the dog thing, too, is that it immediately follows like him singing to like the apartment of women who all like call out their windows to sing and then with the dogs the dogs there's a bunch of dogs that go out yes. there and go to bark <laughs> so i will say you know to make it a little bit more serious this is where i was kind of like oh as a musical this is kind of weird because to me the the song really needed choreography it's just marie chevalier just standing there kind of moving his torso but not really like dancing or anything and i think that really shows what an early musical looked like. And that's why, to me, 
we'll get to it. But the best scene of this movie to me was the one song that actually had choreography. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Most of most of these songs are shot in two shots, and then halfway through they cut to the second, and then maybe they'll cut back to the third. Like, or they'll cut back to the first one for the ending of the song, but they're very static. Yes. And I, I feel like I, that definitely stood out and not that detracted from the movie because I still think like all these people are pretty talented singers, but I definitely think the movie could have been enhanced. Yes. Well, yeah, this was, um, this was one of those movies. I hate to be like this. Whenever I see an older movie, I like, I'm like, this could be remade today. And I was like, there are aspects of this that I could see would work well for a remake, but I also think the general story has been, it's not really, you know, a creative story. It's an archetypical story that we see all the time. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, what is it? I'm thinking of the awful truth with Cary Grant, but that was, that was a remake of like a 1930s film itself. Just any like though, like royalty. uh, Oh, I was thinking like, a divorce storyline. I, I wasn't oh. even thinking that. Oh, so like when Adam Driver sings at the end of Marriage Story. Wow, that, that joke. Yeah. We're the next entry into the uh, we're the next entry into the Christmas Prince uh, series. Oh now we gosh. both had jokes that didn't land. So well, Sarah's a big fan on. of the Christmas Prince movies, so she I am, but it. That we, we don't. After them. <laughs> Unfortunately, they weren't nominated for any Oscars. Talk about a snub. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, once we get for all these, we're going to talk about the movie every year that didn't get any nominations for them. <laughs> always going to be like Christmas Prince three or something. Yes. Like I was just nominated. So Alfred goes back to Slovenia. We meet the queen. Yes. Um, and her like handmaidens have a boring old little song. And then she goes and talks to her advisors. And it's like, I don't want you to find me a husband, but you should because I'm awesome. Wait, 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 then- wait. Before we go there, I want to complain about something. And this oh, is gosh. an issue of so many old musicals. But this, I was like, ah, oh, it started here, and I hate that it started here. Is that I hate the women's voices in this. I I hate them. I hate this style of music where it's like, well, that's not the style of music. It's just like, oh, we're going to show off their soprano voices, and they're going to be screeching. And I'm like, this sounds horrible, and it sounds even worse because the audio is degraded. But, like, even if the audio wasn't degraded, it would sound bad. I'm sorry. This is my hot musical take. Get rid of these Sopranos. Silence. Wow. <laughs> it's okay. I don't care. That one wasn't a joke. That was me going on a serious rant about how I hate. Okay, we got it. You hate. You hate women. We get it. <laughs> Wait. I will say. <laughs> this is the one where we all get canceled. <laughs> We're one episode in. <laughs> um, I will say uh, to try to balance out Danny. I think Jeanette McDonald, who plays the uh, who plays the queen, she's the best part about this movie. Yeah, um, oh, her acting's great. I just hate her singing. Yeah, <laughs> her singing's fine, but like every every scene she's in 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 this first half is a lot of fun, and she completely controls the room. Like with her advisors, she's in complete control of that situation, like comedically and then plot wise. And then when she does meet Alfred, that's such a fun scene with her, like. At first, pretending to be scandalized, but then like, nah, I can I can hang with this dude. Yeah. Can I just say like what my like take about the first half of the movie is? Is I would call it like this might seem weird, but I would honestly label it as like a very 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 early sex comedy. I think it's about yeah. like the queen needing to get laid. Like that's pretty much the plot of the first half. Yeah. No. Yeah. It is. It's it's very much a screwball comedy. Um, I'm not sure how much of that genre had been formed yet, but it is very much about like sex and gender mm-hmm. roles well, and stuff like that. For what it's worth, you guys should check check out Design for Living. It's it's uh, it delves into it more because it pretty much is the whole movie there because it's literally two guys fighting for the affection of a woman, but then she's like, "Well, I can have both of you, you know." There's like that's an option, and they're like, "It is." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, that's, I think that's a bit more of a cohesive film than this is because that film just like, 
it, this podcast isn't about design for a living, but comparing it, these two films, that one's not a musical also. So it's more, but feels like a nice comedy in the lines of like, uh, my man, Godfrey or his girl Friday. Not as his girl Friday is way more screwball though. But anyway, uh, back to this movie. But what did y'all think? Yeah. What do y'all think about, about the queen and Alfred's relationship starting out well, with the formations? <laughs> I think it's weird because this is something where I kind of want to just jump to the end <laughs> and talk about it because I like it as setup, but then it turns out it's not setting up what I think it's setting up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, because it, I think it is something. I'm sorry. I can't, I know I keep interrupting, but no, you know, you're good. I don't care. It. I interrupt people all the time. <laughs> I thought it was like, you know, it's a cool dynamic. It's a cool dynamic. She's the queen. You know, she her husband doesn't get to do anything like for me i was like okay 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 sounds good to me um but then obviously that was the source of conflict and i feel like in the last half like her entire character is just completely obliterated at that point yeah i think what's weird is and i guess this might be jumping ahead of it is i don't actually think the movie immediately falls apart in the second half i think it's the last fourth where it falls apart because I think it has an interesting conflict that it brings in, but then it doesn't really acknowledge that both sides are right to be annoyed. <laughs> so, yeah, I get for sake of just clarity, the second they get married, um, they meet. Everything's good. They get married. Everyone's happy. So it's like um, the end of act one of a musical, really. Yeah. Know, yeah. And then as as he adjusts to being Prince Concert consort he learns that he doesn't have any power that he is really just kind of waiting around for the queen to do things um he can't eat unless she's in the room uh or something like that where like she he has to wait for her to be in the room um which i think is the only objectionable thing here <laughs> but um, oh i think there's other objectionable things too like he just proposes an idea for like the uh what to do about the economy. And they're like, oh, well, we can't even look at your proposal. That's against the rules. I think that's a reasonable thing to be upset about. Uh, like, they don't have to. He's not saying you have to do this. He's like, well, here's my idea. They're like, well, why would you put this together? We don't want it. And I'm like, well, that's silly. <laughs> well, like, I, I'm with him there. You know what I mean? Like, I think it is a fair reason for him to be upset about that because he was trying to help. And they're like, well, no, that's against the rules. I have. Yeah. I have more to say about that, but let me finish uh, summarizing. Sorry. No, no, you're good. You're good. It's just I, I have to get it all out to make the point I want to make. Okay. Um, so. And by the end, he he like basically uh, guilts her into into basically abdicating the throne and giving yeah. him complete control of the country yeah. and of their marriage. Yep. Like he he humiliates her and then like tells her that he's going back to Paris and she like breaks down crying and begs him to take over. It's not good, but like, so the first half I'm like, okay, this could be making an argument like about egalitarianism and like, like you need to have equal parts in a, in a relationship. And so when you think about logically of like, why would they care about his economic proposal? He's just a random dude. He's like not he's a, a count. Dude. Sure. Yeah. He's a but count. Counts, yeah, so he inherited his wealth. Cool. Um, okay, but but she did too. She's she's just a royal yeah, family. Yeah. Can I just I'll no, cut I, I can, disagree. I'll, I'll cut in and say he did have a position. He was the French ambassador as well. Yeah. So okay, he had a I, career. But, <laughs> yeah, but so I don't think that necessarily is a problem unless you're like trying to make a commentary on like this is messed up that we exclude X person from like this conversation and that works if like you're looking at us like it's dumb that we exclude women from politics and stuff like that if that's a if that's a door to have that conversation but ultimately that is not the conversation this movie wants to have well yeah that's the issue of it is that to me the 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 set the first half of the second half so the third fourth <laughs> of the movie <laughs> i'm trying to figure out how to word it i feel like it does build to have that conversation but then once they go to the opera it just becomes him against her and i'm like well in that case i'm with her yeah it's definitely 
it definitely feels like the first half and then the first half of the last half is meant to be like it's meant to be a kind of a satire i guess on what a woman's role would be um but then it just like because you know it's the happy ending especially and especially for a pre-code film no but especially like for a pre-code film you would think that they would you know take a risk but yeah it's just like oh well you know she can stay married she just has to be subservient to her husband and her country yeah like it's just one of those it's very frustrating and i have this whenever i watch a screwball comedy because it's very much waiting for the ball to drop and being like, I really like this. I like this style of comedy. This is great. The third act, they're going to they're gonna reverse all of this and everything I love is going to be thrown out the window. And that was definitely the case in this movie. Well, I feel like now I really want to change the subject and ask you about screwball co- comedy, but I, we don't need to talk about it. I will mention it off hand. I feel like movies like, though, His Girl Friday, yeah, they do that. But, like, it's kind of the joke of the ending is that they both enjoy being miserable together. Here, it's like the guy's just like, well, now I have the power. She's like, oh, well, at least we can have sex. You know? Like, I think how, yeah. I think, I think Howard Hawks's comedies were a little bit... I think he had a... I don't know. I studied Howard Hawks in school. Um, like, I took a Howard Hawks class. And so I think he has a more... He, he at least has a different approach to making screwball comedies than a lot of the other ones I've seen. So I, I think I think that's fair because I'd also say bring it up baby like bringing up baby doesn't have that um, that reassertion of gender roles at the end. It just has more physical comedy to end the in the movie. And I would say fun fact about Howard Hawks is is not only is the Caleb studying in school is that none of his films qualify for this podcast. Good job, Howie. Okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> what a loser. I know, right? He got he got winning Oscars. What the heck? Why? <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to go on our friend Kennedy's podcast to talk about him then because she was also in that class. <laughs> but I think you do bring up a good point about, you know, the miserable together aspect because it does seem like the movie really does imply that they're like not going to be super happy together, like it's going to be a cycle because the last scene is a parallel to an earlier scene. Um, but the problem is that I do believe their love story at the beginning. I do believe yeah, the that they have genuine affection. So it doesn't work in that sense of like, oh, they were doomed from the start. Because like, I don't think they were. Well, and I was just, I was just to say, like, I feel like this sets up a really, if I, if I was like reading the script for this, I would expect that the conflict would come from him being like a serial philanderer. Yes. And that that would yes. ever mm-hmm. be addressed. Because that's, that's such a big part of the first half. But then it's just dropped and this complete new conflict is brought up in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, it's it'd be different because it's framed as though he's bored of not having stuff to do. But what it really should be, it's 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 implicitly there, but it should just be about his loss of freedom now that he's married because he's a guy who enjoyed being a bachelor. But it's really more, it's all grounded in the metaphorical politics of it or like the ridiculousness of, oh, you're not allowed to eat if your wife is here, if your wife's not here. It's like, yeah, of course I'm going to side with him there. But it's not like a realistic thing that audiences watching will be like, oh, yeah, I can't believe my... My my wife could never do that to me. I would never allow it. Uh, even though I would imagine most people here had their wives cooking for them. So, anyways, <laughs> uh, sidebar. But anyway, uh, yeah, the ending doesn't work. Obviously, uh, I don't really have much more though to say about the ending personally because I feel like it's you know, it's pretty self evident why it's awful. Well, should we um, should we talk about the other love story in the film? Oh, yeah. I wanted to double back and talk about that and the music with that. The musical yeah. numbers with that. Uh, which is that our good buddy Jacques finds a maid who really her personality Lulu? changes. Yeah, Lulu, Lulu is person- her name. Lulu's yes. Her yeah, yeah. Lulu's personality changes literally every scene she's in. <laughs> she's playing basically a different character in every single scene. And I kind of appreciated that about this because it's very obvious they're meant to be the comic reliefs. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's okay to me that like in the first scene, she's like, oh, I don't want to talk to you. And the second scene, she's like crawling all over him. 
And yeah. In the third scene, they're just basically screaming at each other in front of other mates. <laughs> like, and then, it, did we get a resolution? I don't remember. I think it was implied that they were going to get married. I think. I'm not yeah. sure. Well, I'm okay. I'm rooting for them. <laughs> they're a bunch of crazy kids. Oh, yeah, it's like, fine. <laughs> yeah, like, well, you know, you know what I mean? Like, they're both clearly, like, written to be, like, very one-dimensional characters. Right. They they reflect the main love story. And like in that song where they're yelling in front of the other house staff, like they are they are arguing the two sides like, um, you know, reflective of who they work for. Yeah. And I think that's that's like a good a good like. Uh, a good structure to have, like an interesting conceit to have. And so they're less characters and more like like plot. Not plot points, but, like, pieces of utility. Yeah. Yes. And I think, on that and, note, as far as their utility goes, they really do give it a lot of credibility as a musical. Um, because, I mean, like we've said, their songs, they you know, they have one, it's it's like Let's Be Common, and it's, it's about... Be, I was about to bring it up, yeah. Let's yeah. Be Common, it's the best scene of the movie. It's, they don't want to be, they don't want to have the conventions of, you know, Louise and Alfred's marriage. They don't want to be, you know, stuck having to be prim and proper all the time because that's not who they are. Um, so it kind of, it is very much, a, I feel like it's very much a product of its time in the sense that it is a very screwballish, like men versus women kind of dynamic. Um, and yeah, it's the only, one of the only songs that has full choreography and it all works Just. really, really well. Jocks in this number does so much cool stuff. I yes. It. It's a lot of, it's physical comedy, but it's choreographed, like, very concisely. It, re it reminded me a ton of, not that you guys saw it, so it doesn't matter, but when I saw the Hello Dolly revival in person, I was like, ah, oh, this is like the, the, I don't know if you guys have ever seen any version of Hello Dolly, but there's Barnaby and, like, no, Barnaby is the sidekick, and Barnaby doesn't really have a character. He's just there to be a cool dancer. And that's what he mm -hmm. that's what Jacques reminded me of. I was like, oh, yeah. this is the Barnaby of the movie. And that's okay. I think most musicals comedy should have a Barnaby. Uh they they're great, you know. Like <laughs> they they are there to be funny and to be entertaining and be a good dancer. And that's why he was mm -hmm. in the movie and it was like, well, good. I'm getting the spectacle I expect from a musical even if I'm just getting it from him. Um yeah. And both of them both of them are really good. She's a lot taller, which creates some fun choreography mm -hmm. at points, too. And she's a, I think she's a better singer than the lead. Uh, yeah, well, I agree. She's also, she's also not singing in that style that you Exactly. Despise. No, no, you're right. Exactly. That's exactly it. The songs just felt more modern. It felt very... Uh, actually, you guys will murder me. It reminded me of... Uh, some of the songs in this remind me of songs from Boys from Syracuse, but none of, like... And that's not actually really a compliment to this. Uh... Caleb, you didn't see that, did you? I just remember you saw the to... movie. Well, so you I know the style the of music. The music is not uh, not Hammer Rogers and Hammerstein's best. Both of you to assume I remember anything from that <laughs> terrible movie. So, so, so that's what I mean, though. If it was a good Rogers and Hammerstein movie, you'd remember the music because their music is yep. generally pretty catchy. This did not have catchy music, but again, I forgive it mostly because it's the first one. Also, I think all this music was originally written for this. Uh, which is I believe cool. so, yeah. Yeah, because it was based off a play, and a French play. Yeah, and I'm curious if the play has a one act or two act structure. I tried to research it, but I couldn't find any info because it's an old, forgotten comedy French comedic play. Because um, I do think this is a very clear two act structure. So first, we got to pick what we would have had it win for. So again, to review. It was nominated at the Academy Awards for Outstanding Production, a.k.a. Best Picture, so you can't vote for that. It was nominated for Best Director. It was nominated for Best Actor for Maurice Chevalier. Chevrolet, no. Um, Chevalier. Best, yeah, no, I know. I, I purposely mispronounced the name. Best Sound Recording, uh, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography. So, Sarah, do you want to go first? Yeah, um, I guess if I had to choose one, I think I probably would go with sound recording. Because um, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, the print is old. So there are moments when everybody sings together where it's like, there's not a chance that you're ever going to you know, figure out what they're saying. But 
in terms of like obviously you know the prolonged rumor that it was dubbed over because it was too professional i think that goes i think that really is like a testament to how well done it was especially for a first time you know full sound picture director so for sure sound for me can i before caleb i ask you because i will ask you next i want to share an interesting fact from the wikipedia page which is sourced from tcm so i know it's true about the sound recording which we didn't mention i meant to mention at some point which is that this uh film had a sequence where the two couples sang the same song so i'm guessing that's jacques and lulu and Luis and alfred sang the same song and it cut back and forth so what Lubitsch did was he had an orchestra built placed in between the two sets and he directed the scenes at the same time, which allowed him to cut back and forth between in the editing, which seems like a pretty cool idea to do in 1929 to me. It doesn't sound very, it, it says in the Wikipedia article it's unprecedented, but it doesn't need to say that. It sounds unprecedented to me, especially mm-hmm. since sound is just coming around then. Anyway. Oh, that sounds very much like one of those I have to experiment to figure out what to do here because exactly. I'm like the first person doing it. Yeah, and I th- well, I think it's a cool solution. Uh, it's a it's neat to hear that, and I think yeah. it works off well because also it does allow for a cross cutting that I don't think we really often see in these earlier films. Um, anyway, so Sarah picks sound recording. Caleb, what about you? So- well, I almost changed my mind because Sarah made a very good <laughs> choice for sound recording. But your anecdote pulled me back over. I'm going <laughs> to give it directing just because I think um, because of how unique this film was, all the challenges that it posed and how well it gets pulled off. Um, even in the second act, like the second act is well made. I just have issues with the story. I'll give it best directing because I, I really think our boy Ernie, Ernie, uh, Hit a hit it out of the park with this one, and Ernie never won competitively, right, Sarah? No, nope, he only, he only won, won an honorary. Yeah, so he he got Peter O'Toole'd. Uh, <laughs> uh, I need to look at what it was nominated for again. Um, uh, it's actually really hard to pick because I agree with both the sound recording and the directing points made. I also think Maurice is very good in it, but the difference with him is that I don't know his competition. I know, obviously. For these earlier ones, we never know the competition. But for him, I can easily see there being a better performance that year. Whereas the direction and the sound recording both feel pretty revolutionary. I'm going to be a loser, though, and give you... I'm, well, it's not. It's a good pick, but my motivation here is going to be like, that's a stupid reason to pick. I'm picking direction. It's just because I don't want King of Jazz to be an Oscar loser. Because <laughs> they're really tied in my mind. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with direction, but uh, I Wait, think the, the only thing you know about King of Jazz is that Kurt Cobain's uncle may have been <laughs> may <laughs> have been award winner King of yeah, Jazz. Part of it. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. But in all seriousness, uh, I think the anecdote would qualify for both, right? I think it qualifies for both the idea of sound recording and the idea of direction, but. I would imagine since it is coupled with building with the sets and I'm going to go more the direction. I also think the idea of this being his first talkie and it being this is so impressive that I got to go with, uh, I'll go with direction. Ernie, Ernie gets an Oscar. Uh, Yay. And the sound recorder. Cause in my mind, okay. In my mind, we're making the alternative Oscars, right? In this, in, in our reality, this one, two Oscars. We both, we both. In our reality, where we've only seen one of the films. <laughs> well, it's like with Alibi. In our reality, it's somehow in our direction. You got three more <laughs> nominations, even though none of us liked it. <laughs> All right. Um, so then I will go then with the um, next part of our thing, which is when we give it a nomination that it did not get. And I want to clarify something here because I didn't clarify it next, last week which is that we gave it, um, we can give it a nomination that doesn't exist yet. So last week we gave out some supporting awards. Supporting actor was not introduced till I believe the eighth Academy Awards. Um, I will also say, not that I'm giving it to you, but I'm giving it to you guys as an option is that it is a defunct category, but it will be introduced soon, which is dance direction. So if you really want to nominate for this for dance direction, I don't think ever you were too impressed of it. It is an option for you to nominate it for. Uh, that will be an option until I believe sometime in the 19, 19. Oh, 
<laughs> That's only going to be an option for these first two. It, dance direction only exists until the temp Oscars. Hey, hey. So. If we can if we can nominate it for stuff that hasn't been introduced yet, then when we get to 1990 and we watch whatever we're doing in the 90s, you better be sure that I'm I'm nominated. Mary Poppins Return is going to get nominated for dance direction. <laughs> it's going to uh, yes. <laughs> well, no, actually, you know what? I'm gonna say right now, uh, Mama Mia Two wins that. Sorry, Caleb. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm apologizing because you hate Mama Mia Two. Anyway, I haven't seen Mama Mia. Mama 2. Mia t- Can I just point out, just for everybody at home, Mama Mia Two is not was not nominated for any Oscars. So <laughs> I do not know where this Poppins. came from. <laughs> Well, no, 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 Danny said, keeps harassing no. me to watch Mamma Mia 2. Like, I don't have 10 billion other films no, to watch. No, no, no. Let me clarify one thing. The reason I brought it up is because I said Mary Poppins Returns gets nominated for Dance Direction in Alternate Reality. And Mary Poppins Returns came out the same year as Mamma Mia 2. So if Mary Poppins Returns is nominated for Dance Direction, then Mamma Mia 2 would be 2. And Mamma Mia 2 deserves to win it. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll, in the five years it takes for us to get to Mary Poppins Returns, I will watch Mamma Mia 2. Okay, thank you. All right, Ugh. so I got to nominate Love Parade for something. Um, I actually think there's a lot of good options here. Uh, even though it got six nominations, I think there's a lot of good options to add. But I'm going to pick Supporting Actor... Uh, for I need to look up his name again. I lost it. Lupino Lane. Yes, supporting actor for him because he steals the entire movie. Anytime he's on screen, I'm excited to see him. I will say that other options for me that I'm not going with would be one of the songs for original song because even though I didn't weren't as a fan of all of them, I thought the main one was pretty good. The love for, the one was like it's a love for me, and I was like, yes, oh, this, is, this is a bop. Um, and then I also thought. Uh, I th- well, you know, I won't say it. I'm pretty sure one of you will pick the one that I'm thinking as an option too. But yeah, my choice is uh, Mr. Lane for supporting actor. Um, I've already gushed over her performance, so yeah, I'll this give is it why to I didn't Jeanette, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Jeanette McDonald. Yeah, she's um, good. It's one of those performances where I I went to look at her IMDb page afterwards, and I was excited to see that like most of the top films she's been in are not this one, which means I have plenty of stuff to go watch her in after this. Um, would you put her in lead or in supporting role? Because I think I'd put her there's in an lead. argument. Okay. I I would too. Yeah, because to be yeah. this one is so structured where she's the lead and Lulu's the supporting. Like, uh, I wanted to look up something really quick because we did this last week when we did it. Uh, and then Sarah, we'll move on to you. Don't worry. So Lupino Lane. Uh, come on, IMDb. Don't be so slow. Oh, he died in 1959. I also, around. when I looked he was him up never earlier, not made for anything. When I looked him up earlier, I found out that he was Ida Lupino's cousin, and Ida Lupino Ooh. is a very famous early female director. So, she was one of the founding members of United Artists, right? Um, uh, sure. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I'll look this up. All I know is I'll she look, directed. She directed one of the first, uh, like whodunit type horror thriller movies the one with the uh that's that has the split screen like the three-way split screen um i, I think i've seen that one well so anyway. i'm asking me questions i don't know the answer to <laughs> i will look all this up we're gonna complain we're gonna complain so that we don't we, we're not I know. smart enough to have a podcast. it's in my brain now <laughs> <laughs> he's looming over us uh anyway so jeanette mcdonald uh she has two awards, and like last week, they are the Walk of Fame. Interesting enough, though, she has two stars on the Walk of Fame, one for motion picture and one for recording, which um, they are, I presume, since it's 1960, I'm guessing that's when the Walk of Fame is established. So, pretty cool, right? Yeah. I was very wrong on both counts. It's uh, <laughs> Louise Weber who made the film I was thinking of. That's called Suspense, which is really cool. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Suspense. You go and see it. That's an we old one. We had to watch one. it in yeah. feminist horror. Yeah. My favorite class that I talk about very often. And then the other person I was thinking of was Mary Pickford. Uh, she helped found United Artists. Those are so. very, very old compared to Ida Lupino. Everything smooths <laughs> together in my brain. <laughs> Send your complaints directly to me. What is the ninth nomination 
for the love parade, or I guess you could keep it at if you want to pick something me and Caleb. Um, I will. I mean, I, I, I agree with you know best actress, but you know for the sake of adding something new, I would say um, best song in the currently non-existent category, and I would say the title song because I I liked that song. It was it was a cute little song. And it's, it's, you know, even if there are better songs, like, that's, like, the Oscar bait song, so. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like, Let's Be Common is the best song to me, clearly. Or the French, the French song. Yeah. Song. It's, like, something where, like, in the 90s, this, and if it was an animated movie, it would get nominated for all three, but the big campaign would be behind the Love Parade song, but then somehow the French song would win. Yeah. Thanks, I like anything to please the queen. <laughs> that one reminded me of a, a, a. I'm curious if Rodgers and Hammerstein was like, hmm, what if I did that song but made it about a nun? It was. It was giving me. Um, uh, I'll do it all with you from, Anna get your gun vibes. Oh, I uh, just something that, about actually. how they bounce back and forth. Good song. Good song. Better than uh, better than anything I can do. That's my hot take about Anna get your gun. Oh, that you can't write a musical? Okay, good to know. Okay, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> I have opinions on a musical that I was in in high school. How dare you get mad at me? So those are our three Academy Awards nominations this get, and the two it wins. Because go, go Ernie. Go Ernie. You now have go nine Ernie. nominations and two wins. So, uh, even though two of the Someone changed the Wikipedia page. Two of the nominations are in categories that do not exist. Wait, are they? Is it all three? I forget. I don't know. What did you say, Caleb? <laughs> I thought it was only. I thought it was only the one. Well, supporting doesn't exist, and that's what I nominated. Oh Original yeah, song yeah. Doesn't exist, and club nominated it for some. F- oh, actress. So it does exist. Good job, Jeanette. You got it in. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so. I think that is our episode of the Snub Club. What? Next week. Yay. Oh, I got to reveal it to Club. So next week, we will be using a free trial on Criterion Channel to watch <laughs> a film that was... I want to get the number up. Sorry. Uh, it was nominated for stuff, right? No, I'm kidding. It was nominated at the fourth Academy Awards. It got four nominations, no wins. And it is... Joseph von Sternberg's Morocco. I've never heard of it, but according to two people who uh, listened to this, they were like, oh, I'll, well, heard, I told about it. They're like, oh, I'll listen to it when you get to Morocco because I've seen that. So I guess this is a well-known movie. Um, I mean, it stars, it stars Gary Cooper and Marlene Dittrich. So, yep. Pretty all-star cast there. Yep. Um, and it's on Criterion Channel, so we'll be using a free trial to watch it. I am excited. Are you trying? Do you keep saying that so we get sponsored? Uh, yeah, Criterion, please sponsor us. Even though this will be literally the only time we use their service because there's <laughs> less we can rent somewhere else. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, well, let's sign off. Uh, so, uh, social media stuff. Uh, so thank you for listening to this episode of Snub Club. Uh, you can listen to us on whatever platform you're currently listening to us on, which I assume is either Spotify, Podbean. Or Apple Podcasts. Uh, and I think we're on something else too, but Caleb can remind me of that later. Uh, <laughs> Amazon and Google. Oh, Amazon. It doesn't Google. matter. If you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, you know where to find us. Yeah. But uh, I'm Danny Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at blank mints, mints with an E, not an I. I'm not a tic tac. Uh, you can also listen to my MCU podcast, which is on everything we just mentioned besides Podbean, which is called Why Is With Ty and Dan. And uh yeah oh and more important than me if you want to follow us on social media we are on twitter at snub the i don't know why they gave us that number uh, that username but it's what it is uh and, and instagram we're, we're on instagram yeah you want to see the instagram page i forget it uh i think it's the snub club podcast so makes so much more sense than our and the twitter one we're also on facebook under the snub club so, yeah, a lot of places you can follow us, along with our individual letterboxes, which I already said mine, so, and I've been talking too much. So, someone else sign off. I'm done. Love Parade. 
yeah, you could follow me. My letterbox is just my name, Sarah with an H, and then Kanauf, K-N-A-U-F. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-A-Y, 29. I'm Caleb, and you can follow me at the Myth. King on Letterboxd and at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. Check out my other film podcast, Hot Trash Unlimited, where I watch films to see if we can ironically enjoy them. Danny's going to be on an upcoming episode of that. Um, it's true. I have to rewatch Cars. You too. can email us at uh, at the Stub Club Pod, or it might just be Stub Club Pod. I think it's. You can email us. <laughs> we don't know where any of our social media is. <laughs> The only reason I'm in charge of the email is because I am in charge of distribution. So um, don't email us. I probably won't respond. Tweet at us instead. Um, And you can, uh, thanks to Joe, our editor, uh, you can listen to or watch his podcast. Uh, It's called All New 52, and I'm also on it. So bonus points. Okay, I'm done. When's your Star Wars podcast launching? Um, Probably... Uh, probably the weekend that we record this. So it will probably be out by then. I'm recording the second episode tomorrow. Uh, cool. Get excited. Cool. Star Wars I therapy. I would imagine that our next... No, we won't. Never mind. I was going to say, our next podcast, we should be able to talk about the Oscars, but I don't think we will. So two podcasts for now. Get hyped, guys. Or we'll talk about Mank, maybe. Well, we won't actually, but we'll talk about it. Hopefully not. I still think Mank won't be the one. <laughs> I'm starting to lean the father. Right? I, yeah, so we had this discussion last week. That's where I'm starting to walk towards, too. Thanks for listening to the Snub Club. Join us two weeks from now when we tackle Morocco. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.